Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Good morning, everyone. Welcome into the Saturday show on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. As you can tell, I'm Michelle Bodkin, the Utah Utes insider for KSLSports.com. Jake Hatch, currently still in Texas, uh, kind of on his way home. Uh, he got to enjoy all the glory that was Big 12 Media Day, the first one ever for BYU football. Uh, and it looked like it went pretty well. We're actually going to have Jake join us pretty shortly here. Uh, but first, I mean, we have to we have to do our traditional, traditional stuff. So, you know, my my wonderful producer behind the glass today is, of course, Sarah. Sarah, do you have a highlight of your week? Yeah, it's kind of fun that it's a girls. It's kind of a girls episode. It is today, a girls so. episode. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. But my uh, my highlight is I have family in town. OK, so um, so that's been kind of fun. My dad's here visiting Aww. his extended family, and a few of his siblings are in town. And so, yeah, I'm going to – they have, like, a little reunion planned for today. I went to dinner with him last night, so Aww. it's fun. I love good family time. I actually get to do that next week. I'm going to stay behind after Pac-12 Media Day wraps up because I have some family in Las Vegas. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. And I'm glad that you get to experience that yourself. Uh, I, I as well, I guess, have a highlight of the week. Uh, for me, it was uh, we ran our Athletes for Life story uh, on the Sunday news last week, and the feedback I got from some of the tribe members was just so sweet. Um, one of the fathers of of the kids was telling me that his kids were so excited. They said that they were going to be famous because they're on TV, uh, and it just I it just is a reminder that I think people 
want to be seen and appreciated. And, and I think sometimes when we have people kind of tucked into more of these rural areas, they get forgotten and they kind of feel a little bit left out. So that was really awesome, you know, to hear that they enjoyed the camp experience. They enjoyed the the promos and, and some of the stuff that we wrote about them uh, and showed on TV. And it's just kind of the start of something that I think is going to be really special moving forward. Yeah, that is so fun. And I'm glad that it like was so successful. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. No, there's already plans and talks about how to make it bigger and better and more inclusive next year. Uh, and hopefully, you know, KSL will continue to be involved with that because it was really it was a very cool, cool story. Uh, you know, I, I think Jake is on the line and ready to go. Jake, what was your highlight of the week before I start grilling you about Big 12 Media Day? Uh, honestly, probably just coming down to Big 12 Media Day, honestly, Michelle. It's a ton of fun to be down here in Dallas. It's been really, really hot. Heat index north of 110 every day I've been here, but hey, it's fun all the same. Well, I I mean, I, I feel you because that was kind of the Florida game last year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and it's most likely going to be Baylor for me here uh, in a little over a month. That's crazy to think about. Uh, okay, so let's let's jump into it, Jake. Uh, you know, okay. what was your overall impression of BYU's first Big Twelve Media Days? What what was some of the biggest takeaways from that event? Well, I think the first thing is that uh, I think the Big Twelve is very excited to have BYU along with the other four newcomers coming into the conference. That was kind of the big thing from this media days. A lot of people wondered if Brett Yormark was going to come out and make some grandiose statement about. Uh, conference expansion or something like that. No, and they really just kind of celebrated the new members in the conference and BYU in particular uh, to a man and woman that I spoke to down there Big 12 Media Days. They are very, very excited to have the Cougars in the conference. They know that the fans of BYU are absolutely invested and they're excited to have them as part of all this. But the biggest thing I think is that BYU themselves, so you have Kalani Sitake as well as BYU's players, made a really, really good impression. That first day when BYU spoke, Kalani Sitake was out on media row talking to anybody and everybody who wanted to talk to him well past seven o'clock local time. That mm-hmm. was hours, hours after the other programs and players, uh, coaches, et cetera, had left. So I think they made a very, very positive first impression. Well, that sounds that sounds like Kalani. Obviously, I, yeah. I know him fairly well from his time at Utah uh, and still kind of keep in touch here and there now that he's down at BYU. And yeah, that that does not surprise me in the slightest that he would be so willing to give his time to everybody. Uh, you know, from BYU's perspective, you know, how how. How do you think, I mean, you kind of touched on the Big 12, how they're perceiving them. Uh, you know, who who do you think maybe had the best takeaways about BYU and what BYU brings to the Big 12? Uh, I would say, so the biggest thing about this is I think there were a bunch of people who were looking at the way that the preseason poll worked out. Now, I was talking with a couple of guys, I think they were from Kansas. I, I apologize if I screwed up where they were from, but they were talking about, like, they think that BYU could finish top half of the conference this fall. And I kind of looked at them like, I'm not so sure about that, guys. Like they're, they're, They were really, really high on the way that Kalani Sitake has built his program. They think that BYU, with the number of Power 5 opponents they've been able to schedule during their independent era, have them set up for success. And I, I think that the biggest thing is that they think that BYU can become a, comp- a competitive program pretty early on in this new era of the Big 12. Now, uh, I think you and I have both talked about this enough, Michelle, that we both think that, yeah, you've got to continue to recruit at a high level, but you didn't have the uh, ball, quote-unquote, bounce your way in certain circumstances to have that happen. And 
We'll see if it ultimately comes to where BYU can be a power player in the Big 12 early on. But it's it's all really going to depend on some good fortune, but also BYU. They very much need to continue to improve their recruiting on the on the recruiting trail. Absolutely, and I, you know, I, it's one of those things. It would not shock me if BYU does better than I think people are anticipating, and that even to a certain degree includes myself because obviously I'm trying to base this realistically off of something that I've already kind of watched happen. Yes. Uh, but I mean, as you mentioned, there's sometimes luck involved. There's whereas everybody else, you know, kind of currently within the conference, maybe it's a low period in the conference and a, a team like BYU can kind of take advantage of that and really establish themselves. Uh, there, There's just a lot of things at play. So while I don't think it's impossible uh, it, it's just maybe not likely, but but that's sure. why we play the game, and that's why I think we're all just kind of excited and curious to see how things play out. Well, yeah, and that's that's the biggest thing is we, the, there's a, just an excitement factor. Where yesterday was 50 days until BYU kicked off. I know that Utah's like 47 days away from mm-hmm. today. I think when they kick off against Florida, and I think there's just there's an excitement level that the season is on its way. I know from BYU's perspective, Michelle, they have waited for years and decades at this point to to live this dream of being in the Power Five. So uh, the bigger thing I think overall is that. Hey, the season's almost here. Let's get ready for it. Uh, training camp opens up in two or three weeks' time, and off we go. You did mention that Kalani, uh, you know, spoke at Big 12 Media Days, really impressed. Uh-huh. I, I remember when Utah was brought on, Kyle Whittingham was very serious about uh, kind of going back to the, the last point that we talked about, was very serious about, you know, the kind of undertaking it was. I, I'm curious what, if anything, maybe Kalani said that alluded it, alluded to just what BYU is going to have to do in order to kind of hit the ground running in this new conference. Well, he, he referenced the fact that he went through that transition process with Utah at least a couple of times that I heard him. He talked about the fact that him, Jay Hill, and Aaron Roderick, his two coordinators, offensive and defensive, uh, both went through that process while they were all at Utah coaching under Coach Witt, as you mentioned. And he talked about the fact that we've been through this, but he also did add the caveat, and something that you and I have both acknowledged, is that the, tr- the transfer portal has completely changed the whole calculus of this. You can bring in BYU, I think, to count 58 new names on this roster this year for BYU. <laughs> that includes freshmen, return missionaries, junior college transfers, and transfer portal additions. So mass turnover of roster is absolutely capable of happening. And if you, if you play your cards the right way, that mass roster turnover can yield a, a deeper and more competitive program. But on the flip side, it also could weaken your program. So right. it's it, 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 it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle it. But I think BYU, they're, they're quite confident in how they went about building this roster this year, and they're hoping that they did it the right way, honestly. Keaton Slovis was on hand. You know, what mm-hmm. What was he kind of saying? What's his feeling? This is obviously his third third stop. Um, he's kind yeah. of been all all over the country actually playing football. You know, what? what are his thoughts and his feelings of kind of getting to do this new adventure? Well, he, so he was joking around because Kalani said, hey, I asked Keaton Slowis for, for uh, help with media days. I haven't done one of these in a while because Keaton did one when he was at USC. And Keaton's right. like, uh, he was just fine. He's a people person. But uh, Keaton, he sounds like he's just ready to get the, get out there on the field. He, he, he talked about the fact that, 
we're here talking and it's fun and it's exciting, but I just want to get out there and get back to work with my guys, as he, as he referred to guys like Cody Epps, et cetera, who were also here at Media Days. And he, I think he is just ready for all the talking to be done, Michelle, and to finally just get out and play ball because that's something that he has been just waiting for. Is he wants to go out and prove himself. He knows the last year at Pitt has a lot of people thinking that, okay, he's past his prime, he can't do this. But BYU's coaches believed him. He was their number one target in the transfer portal quarterback-wise, and they got their guy. And they believe that he can uh, be what they need at quarterback this year. It's going to be all a matter of finally getting out there in training camp beginning in August and then obviously coming up in September when BYU takes the field officially. Uh, that sounds very similar to uh, Micah Pittman in Utah. Yes. Uh, that that <laughs> It's you're you're our guy and we believe in you. We know that, uh, you know, things maybe didn't go how you wanted them to. But we think you can come in and be huge for us and we can be huge for you. I'm very curious to see how Keaton does, uh, because I think he did show flashes while he was at USC. Uh, But the problem is he kind of slumped off for whatever reason. And there's sometimes I mean, there again. We like to try and paint this as very black and white as to why why that could be, uh, but usually there's like a lot of different reasons that kind of go into that, and so it's going to be curious to see if, I mean, I think to me, when you have someone believe in you, that helps your situation so much. Correct, and that, that, that's the biggest thing. And Keaton told me this at the end of spring ball, and he kind of he alluded to it during media days as well, Michelle. That this will be the first time he has truthfully ever played for the offensive coordinator that he was actually recruited by, both at USC and Pitt. They had uh, had offensive coordinators rec- been there when he was recruited and signed with them, but then they ultimately made changes. And he said that it worked out pretty well with Graham Harrell at USC. Uh, at Pitt, it did not work out so well. Mark Whipple was the guy he committed to, who ultimately got fired, and uh, Brian Kurt Signetti, who went with more of a run-based offense. He said, "Just it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't what I was looking for as a quarterback." Aaron Roderick will be the first coordinator he committed to, and will actually play for. And I think that has got him feeling a lot more confident, knowing that hey, I've got the guy calling plays for me that believes in me, and we'll see what ultimately transpires. That that is a huge difference maker as well. Absolutely. Uh, I so. Cosmo also was uh, <laughs> getting some attention. I don't think that should yeah. shock anyone. Uh, were there any who who else within the mascot range was maybe kind of impressive, amusing, uh, a bit of a showstopper? Was it was it really kind of Cosmo's show? Cosmo did a really good job. He did absolutely. <laughs> I, I thought I, I thought that Hookem, uh, the so they have Bebo and Hookem for the Texas Longhorn. Bebo is obviously the real life Longhorn they have on the sidelines, but Hookem is their uh, costume mascot. He was all over the place, having a good time himself. I, I will say this, Michelle. I don't know what Cincinnati Bearcats, uh, the, the Bearcat m- mascots, like name is, uh-huh. but they have a, whoever was donning that mascot uh, costume had to have been six eight, Michelle, tallest oh, mascot gosh. I have ever seen like <laughs> walking by i'm like who is that I mean, just so it was just showstopper in that regard because they were so so dang tall because mascots are not that tall but cosmo made a good impression hooker made a good impression i actually really thought the uh, nitro the ucf knights uh-huh. doesn't necessarily have a costume that is uh, as adept to doing crazy things as cosmos is but he he was having some fun and then i don't know if you saw the funny funny picture shasta which is the houston cougars uh, mascot they did the whole Spider-Man, like, pointing at each other pose with him and Cosmo it made me chuckle pretty good on that one. <laughs> I, I love some good mascot b- battles. Yeah. I've seen a few of them on the sidelines myself. Uh, yeah. 
you know, I, going back to the football part of it, mm-hmm. I, I love it when you can find like crazy cool connections. And to be honest, this is like football is one of the biggest, littlest industries ever. Because like mm-hmm. you play your cards right. At some point, it feels like everybody knows everybody uh, and, and you've crossed paths and, and spent time together. Uh, I think Steve Sarkeesian, who's the head coach now of Texas, is is a very mm-hmm. interesting uh, example of that. Obviously, has the connection to BYU, played at BYU, uh, knows so, some of the coaching staff, knows our very own Hansels, and they were teammates. You know, what was Correct. it like? hearing him kind of talk about BYU getting getting this opportunity and and maybe some of some of his recollections of trying to grow the program when he was a player. Well, he referenced back to when he was at BYU and they made that 14 and 1 run his senior year in 96 and he said that we weren't part of the what they called the Bull Alliance at that point. It was the forerunner to the BCS. He said that we kind of got aced out of playing in one of the true true big games. He said that the Cotton Bowl was great. It was a January 1st game. That was fun, but they wanted to play for something bigger than that. And he he referenced that in saying that now BYU does have that opportunity in front of them. They can no longer be denied that access now as members of the Big 12. And obviously Texas was making the jump to uh, the SEC next year, but he was very complimentary of Kalani, who was a teammate of his as well at BYU, along with Hands. And they, they're just—he's excited. He's excited for BYU to get this opportunity. Now, obviously, that comes with a caveat, Michelle, that when BYU goes to Texas in late October, he wants nothing more than to beat BYU because right. he's the head coach of Texas at this time. <laughs> but he—he—he he, has got a lot of complimentary things to say about BYU. He was effusive in his praise of Lavelle Edwards and Norm Chow, who were the kind of the brain trust that helped him while he was at BYU. But he was very excited for his alma mater to have the opportunity to have that door open to them to play for bigger things now. But yes, he <laughs> that that tune that tune will change a little bit uh, come October when the Longhorns and the Cougars square off. No doubt, and I mean Texas has reason to be maybe a little chippy towards BYU. BYU's had their number. Yeah, they're four. They're four and one all time against Texas, two and zero versus Oklahoma. The two schools leaving. So BYU, no matter what, when those two schools leave, will have a winning record against them. If you're a Cougar fan, you can't hate that. No. <laughs> uh, you know, let's talk about uh, what you know. What's ahead for BYU now? Now, I, media day is kind of, I think, the signal caller that yes, the season's around the corner. Yep. That has now been checked off for BYU. What What's kind of next on the docket? What are they really looking at, focusing on as they prepare to make this big transition to a P five conference? Well, as I mentioned, they kind of made a good impression in, in talking season, as Coach Spurrier liked to refer to, obviously, here at Media Days. But <laughs> their biggest thing now, Michelle, is they want to go out and make an impression on the football field. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about this, what like will constitute success year one. I still think that if they get to bowl eligibility, 6-6, six and six, it's going to be a good debut for BYU. And I, I, them talk, and they talk like they want to do more than that, and that's great. But I, I think in their heart of hearts, I think if they were to make it to a bowl game, they'd be f- feeling pretty good about their first year in the Big 12. And they obviously have to go out and show what they're capable of. They've still got to work on, obviously, getting that defense up to snuff. We all know that Jay Hill is a, is a very, very good defensive coach, but he's 
only had uh, 15 practices so far to implement his vision and what he's going with. So he's got the next 29 practices during training camp to go out and really get things ingrained with these guys, and hopefully they can hit the ground running. I think they should be 2-0 and after the first two weeks when they uh, play Sam Houston in Southern Utah, but then it's really on. Ten straight weeks of Power 5 opposition. It's going to test the depths of BYU like it's never been tested before, and we've seen them falter under some of these seasons where they've had five, six, seven powerful opponents and independents. So what is 10 weeks of that going to look like? We're all about to find out. Uh, did did anyone from BYU kind of divulge where they felt like the defense currently sat at? I think that is actually a very good question and point that you brought up that Jay Hill yeah. has only had a handful of practices and he's going to get like maybe two handfuls more before it's time to yeah. put it out on the field. Well, and so uh, talking with Ben Bywater, uh, obviously linebacker for BYU, he feels like this defense has been in a way simplified for them. There's no longer week to week we're changing the whole philosophy and the scheme, which it seemed like at times they were doing the last two seasons. He said that the whole idea is this is we have we have what we do with our base, and obviously there's adjustments week to week on, depending on opponent. But he said that Coach Hill has come in and really just kind of implemented, like, this is our base philosophy, guys. And it, you, you know this, Michelle. It comes from the Kyle Whittingham tree. Mm-hmm. It goes up the tree to Fred Whittingham, obviously. It's a very simplistic defense that has the ability to adapt as circumstances need, but there's a clear identity. And that's the one thing that I think that Ben is very appreciative of is that there's just the, the, that identity has been established in spring ball. Obviously, they'll continue to uh, make sure that that, groundwork is really ingrained in these guys coming up in training camp. But I, I think that they're just appreciative of the fact, okay, we have a base philosophy here and we, we all know exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, no, that definitely screams Utah football. Uh, there, yeah. There is absolutely the base defense and then things just kind of branch off from there. And a lot of it depends mm-hmm. on how comfortable everybody is, how experienced everybody is. Some years the defense is maybe a little more complex than other years, but Correct. there's always kind of that that fallback that you go to. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a great thing to get established, especially, again, when you're upping the competition and – uh, and and I think mistakes are a little bit easier to come by just simply because you're facing tougher competition week in and week out. Yeah, and that, that's the biggest thing. is they, they, they know what they're up against in terms of just the overall depth and breadth of, of these programs. And I think to uh, any one of the four new programs, they'll kind of spoke to that. Like, hey, we've done our best absolutely to try and build up our roster, but I think they're under no illusions that it's going to take them probably some time to truthfully get uh, to Power 5 caliber uh, type rosters where your twos and threes is not as, as a significant drop-off as uh, it might be when you're in the G5 or in BYU's case an independent uh, program. So it's going to be interesting. I, I'm excited to see what BYU's work, how it pays off this year, and see where ultimately they land. But uh, there are people saying that I've been, I was too low on BYU because I picked them 10th in my preseason poll when I voted for it with, with the Big 12. But I think that's almost a perfect spot for BYU where they can feel slighted but at the same time, they can play spoiler maker and go out there and make some noise. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, that I think that's kind of what Utah started out as, you know, when mm-hmm. they made that jump. It, it wasn't necessarily that they were always in it per se, but <laughs> yeah. but they were the team that would play you tough and come in and possibly wreck and ruin your season. And I think, you know, that Correct. I think that's a good mindset, a good place for BYU to be in, you know, as they start this adventure. And obviously that can grow and curl, 
curtail into, you know, something a little bit more uh, as as we've kind of seen with, you know, Utah's adventure uh, moving up the ranks in the P5. Now, Jake, I know that you've kind of you've you stayed behind and actually you covered another media day. Uh, talk about I that did. experience. Well, it was kind of on accident. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know what was happening. But the United, the United Athletic Conference, which is now the combination of the WAC, which has Southern Utah and uh, Utah Tech in it, along with the ASUN, they have created a new – it's going to be nine teams this year. But when Utah, uh, UT Rio Grande Valley finally starts their program in 25, it would be 10 teams. Uh, they had their media day uh, just a stone throw away from AT&T Stadium yesterday at what they call Texas Live. It's a big uh, kind of uh, – area where there's a bunch of bars and restaurants so i wandered over yesterday morning had a chance to catch up with utah tech and some of the utah coaches and uh, players and I'm I'm interested to see how they do because uh, Delaney Fitzgerald, obviously the coach of S- Southern Utah, he is in his second year and he came in and uh, we talked about flipping BYU's roster, Michelle. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that anybody's flipped their roster more than Southern Utah. I would say <laughs> in the last two off seasons, he may have flipped like 80 percent of that roster at SUU. Like he has really uh, done a number on changing things down there. And then for Utah Tech, Paul Peterson. He's in year five. It's crazy to think he's been there that long, but he was the first coach to transition to Division One. And get this, Michelle, they have gone in five years from being an FCS independent to being a member of the WAC and now a member of what they call the UAC, the United Athletic Conference. And I think both of them feel fairly confident they can go out and compete this year. That's awesome. Uh, what a happy accident, Jake. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. Well, see, I got an email from Utah Tech saying, hey, we're having a media day tomorrow. I'm like, well, that just so happens that I have an open morning. I'll wander on over and say hi to you guys. So. <laughs> okay, before I let you go, Jake, best uh-huh. thing you've eaten. Okay, if you come down to Dallas, Michelle, or anybody out there listening to us, there's a place called Hurtado Barbecue, H-U-R-T-A-D-O. Uh, they are in Texas Monthly's top 50 barbecue restaurants in the state of Texas, so they've got, the, I guess, the recognition of this. But that was absolutely incredible barbecue. I went out to eat with uh, Matt Biamonte, Mitch Harper, Alex Keery. Um, who else is with us? Oh, um, also um, Kyle Ireland is with us as well. All the guys from KSL. We saw Jeremiah Jensen over there as well. It was absolutely incredible. It's kind of a Texas barbecue, so it's got the brisket and everything, ribs, all that stuff. That's still very much traditional in that way, but with kind of a unique uh, Tex-Mex um, I guess, spin on it. And it was absolutely incredible. I actually went to the Texas Rangers game last night, Michelle, and they actually have a Hurtado barbecue stand inside the stadium. Guess who wandered over and got more brisket last uh, night? This guy. You went back for seconds. It <laughs> yes. was that good. It, yes, it was. <laughs> well, that is great information to know. Uh, I uh-huh. don't know when I will ever be in that area, but if I happen to, Hurtado's yes. is the spot. Yeah, make make it happen. There's no doubt about it. It was absolutely incredible. Okay, well, Jake, I appreciate you jumping on. Safe travels back mm-hmm. to Salt Lake, and uh, I will not see you next week. We will actually be yep. doing the reverse of what we're doing exactly. here today. Well, <laughs> we're, we're, we're just going to call and harass you on, on and, and have you weigh in on Pac-12 Media Day, but it'll be fun all the same. Totally. No, I'm excited about that. But anyway, mm-hmm. get back here safe, and uh, we'll chat soon. Okay, thanks, Michelle. Talk to you soon. All right. All right, everybody, that is my co-host, Jake Hatch, with the whole rundown on Big 12 Media Day. Uh, We have a lot more to cover as far as BYU and their Big 12 Media Days. Up next, we will have an interview with Tom Homo from our very own Jake Hatch that just got off the phone with us. You are listening to The Saturday Show on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone.
a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into the Saturday show. I am Michelle Bodkin, your host today. Jake Hatch is currently on his way home from Texas from Big 12 Media Day. And that's kind of the theme of the show. Uh, behind the glass, as always, Sarah keeping me on track. It's it's the all-girl show. In fact, Clint, our good friend Clint on Twitter said it's the rural girl show. And I'm not really sure why. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I don't either. I mean, I live north of Tampa technically, so I guess it's a little more. Is it not? Is that more rural? Yeah. I mean, a little bit, but I don't know how he would know that. So, <laughs> but hey, it is it is an all girl show all the same. Definitely. He did get the all girl show part right. Uh, really great stuff in the last segment from Jake, uh, who, again, was there, experienced the whole big to do uh, bringing in four new schools for the Big 12, BYU being one of them. This is the first year that the Cougars, of course, are hitting hitting the ground as a P5 member. So lots of good stuff to get to. And that brings us to our next interview that we're going to play for you. Uh, Jake Hatch sat down with Tom Holmo and interviewed him about what it means for BYU to be in the Big 12. Here with Tom Homo and Tom, Media Day's here. Does it feel real that, hey, we're, we're on our way to the Big 12 officially? Yeah, it's real. If, if anybody doesn't think so, to step in this venue uh-huh. and you know it's on. Yeah. I don't think there's any question that, man, it's, it's Cowboy Stadium. And I'm a Niner, but I'm impressed by how uh, the Jones family and the Cowboys have you know, opened this up. Yeah. Come into our backyard or our living room for uh, the Big 12. Great. Now, obviously, you've shepherded BYU from the Mountain West to Independence and now ushering them into the Big 12 era. Can you talk a little bit to just how much work you've had to do in all of those? You know, I, I don't really look at it as, oh, my gosh, I've, I'm exhausted. I think that um, by nature of being the athletic director at BYU and the three or four previous ADs before me, or yeah. they've all been in the same business. We're trying to get into a, a P5, and they they all they chipped away. Mm-hmm. And I think that when I inherited this job, which was passed on from them, yeah. that that was one of the responsibilities is, you know, try. Yeah. And I had a little bit of a head start because those guys had given me that head start. I, I've said so many times that 40 years, Lavelle, and you go back to Christian Mercosix yeah. and Stan Watts and this great, incredible brand of BYU Athletics, but Lavelle really is the one. And I, So I look back, and if someone's going to say, hey, Tom, um, you know, thanks for, they, people say thanks for helping, this is great, I say thank you, it's just great to be part of it. I play a role in it like um, Jimmer played a role in it, yeah. uh, Danny Ainge played a role in it, um, 
who, who Kenneth Rooks yeah. played played yeah, a role. Absolutely. He was all we were already but, in. But still, but yeah. If you could go through any of them, yeah. And I, it's just like we've all been fighting for this for a long time, and this is the right time. The planets and stars aligned, and I'm happy. Now, obviously, I had a chance to talk to Rondo Felberg recently, and he talked about that. He's like, we've been kind of building towards this for 30, and he said 30 years, obviously, because he did in the late 90s right. and everything. But he's talked about, he's like, this is kind of the fulfillment of years and decades-long work. Do you feel have that same sentiment? Yeah. I mean, at our celebration, we had a uh, dinner for our... Um our empl- uh, department employees yeah. mm-hmm. and I invited Val and Rondo okay. because I know those two guys mm-hmm. and I would have we would have brought um, Coach Tuckett yeah. if he hadn't have passed yeah. but I know those guys and I know the efforts that they made mm-hmm. so I didn't want to discount the fact yeah. that you know their contributions and it was and when they celebrated it just as hard as I did so I know how much it felt for them to be part of it and they are a big part of it now we talked with you during that celebration you said that football is the driver of all of this obviously and this is Big 12 Football Media Day what do you think Kalani Sitake has done the best in preparing for this upcoming season the culture of the team Kalani's strength is he's a people person yeah and he just is able to get players Mm -hmm. to perform and you've looked at when he came in and inherited the team you know it's changed there's been some highs and there's been some lows but the last couple years especially the last two we've been able to do some things with some infusion of money where a capital where he had to make some really important decisions on personnel Mm -hmm. and who we can add and what kind of people we need in what areas. There's a few jobs that were new, but it wasn't so much about the job as much as about the person fulfilling that job. I think that's his strength. But he also is, um, he's a fan, Mm -hmm. and he talks about being a BYU fan before he's a BYU player. So I think he relates so well to every fan and beat Cougar Nation, and I think they relate really well to him. So when you are trying to build a brand, which we've been trying to build for 40 years, he's a great he's great for the brand, and I love that part of it. That's those are some of the top, but there's he's got a lot of skills and talents that lend so much to BYU. He's assembled a, assembled a really good staff, and two of the guys in particular, Aaron Roderick as well as Jay Hill, who are his coordinators, went with him. We were at Utah all together when they went through the transition from the Mountain West to the Pac-12. Has that been a, a, a help to have those guys have had that experience making that transition at all? Yeah, I, I think that Kalani and the previous staff mm-hmm. had some wins. They yeah. had some good successes, but I think that he had to make some hard decisions about moving forward under different circumstances. This is a whole new ball game, <laughs> going from Independence to Big 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, the schedule's different. The brands and the programs are stronger. We played some really good big-time teams in Independence, but we also had some softer teams on the schedule. So he realized that this team had to kind of rebuild, not from the bottom up. There's a great foundation by Lavelle and Gary and Bronco and Kalani where we were, we're ready for this. Make no mistake about it, we're ready, but it's going to be different. And we're going to have to make transitions. And we, you know, we studied University of Utah when they made that change to the Pac-12. 
you know, we, we were able to look at that and, and see some of the things that they did right and some of the things they would have done differently. But they made that transition effectively well in a short amount of time. Now, this might sound facetious, but how much simpler is your life not having to schedule 12 games every year? You know, I think it's the question of the year. <laughs> Everybody asks me, and I don't really even think about it once. Okay. I just think that that was the task. Yeah. When we went independent, that was going to be the thing. So, you know, up in my to-do list every day was schedule, and it's not on my to-do list anymore. Yeah. So um, there's other things that have taken its place. Yeah. So it's not like I'm... You know, on a little uh, fiesta right now, it's more like what's at the top of mind right now is different than it was, you know, during scheduling or COVID or whatever it might be. Well, I also wanted to ask you, in terms of like kind of next steps for you guys, what, what's on your docket here? Well, I, I think certainly the transition is important. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to run too fast. We've made a lot of strategic decisions, and now we have to monitor them. Mm-hmm. Because I'm under the belief that we're going to have to change some of those directions. And we, w- we will not get everything right in that what we've prepared for. So I think that we're walking before we run. Yeah. Um, we've made great preparation. We've spent a lot of great effort and energy in our preparations, but monitoring that and seeing what's right and keep going, mm-hmm. double down, yeah. and then turn, make a U-turn, and take another road on what we may have missed on. Well, that's what I was going to ask you in terms of it, there's going to be some feeling out process here, it feels like, for you guys. Like, as you said, sometimes you may try something, it doesn't work, you go back to the drawing board. Is that, is that kind of the mentality as you guys get ready to fully yeah, make the transition? certainly. I, I, but I don't think that we've had to put all our eggs in one risky business. It's not my style. It's not our culture of our athletic department Mm -hmm. to take dramatic risks. Mm -hmm. Um, But we have strategies that we all confer on. Kalani and I, being together now for this long amount of time, every year it's a little bit more firmer and firmer on I knowing what he, how he thinks, Mm -hmm. and he knows how I think. Mm -hmm. So I think our our work and efforts in the years past, kind of up and down and changes and stuff, yeah. I've just built for today and the future. Speaking of the other sports, basketball, on the Olympic sports, is there going to be certain sports you feel like will have a tougher transition than others? Or do you think you'll feel like it's across the board, everybody's going to have their work cut out for them? Well, I think everyone will have to change and adapt. Make no mistake about it. Yeah. But I think by nature of just the overall strength of some Big 12 sponsored yeah. sports, like basketball. Yeah. I mean, it's the best conference in the country, and that'll be a challenge for Coach Pope and his staff, but I feel like we're going to be competitive. Okay. But I think that if you look at um, some of the other sports, it depends on how the Big 12 is at this time. Some of our teams are really, really good, and it might take them a while to get a championship, as opposed to some that are going to transition. And it might, it might not look good right away, yeah. but being in the Big 12 is going to help with recruiting, exposure, access, all those things that are important to our future. Last thing for me, how exciting is this for you personally to be here and celebrating the, the Big 12? I'm, I'm, I'm super excited because, like, being here today, you know, I represent Cougar Nation. Yeah. So does Kalani. Mm-hmm. So do our five players. So does Cosmo and the cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. If you're here representing BYU, if you're here on behalf of BYU, you represent everybody. 
And what I'm trying to tell everybody today is we're trying to be a great partner in the Big 12. And we just don't want to come in and go, okay, now we're going to go do our thing. You know, BYU is a strange school. We're going, to, we're going to be a great partner. And we're going to do everything we can to make the Big 12 stronger. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's our focus of attention. We'll focus on our teams, but we have to make sure that everybody grows together if we want to be the best conference in America. Well, Tom, cannot thank you enough for taking some time, and best of luck moving thank forward. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, guys, that was our very own Jake Hatch with BYU's athletic director, Tom Homo, talking about the transition to the Big 12 for the BYU Cougars. Uh, Some really interesting things there. Uh, One, talking about the process to get to the Big 12, uh, very much like Utah, and I, I know this for a fact. This has been a 30, 40 year deal in the making for BYU uh, to try try and get into the big kids club. Uh, very much a similar tale for Utah. And in fact, I think both sides, uh, if you're interested, my former boss over at Ute Zone, uh, Dan Sorensen, did a really great piece, I think, at the 10 year mark of Utah being in the Pac-12. And he talked to uh, Chris Hill. Uh, I think Kyle Whittingham, uh, Spence Eccles, and at the time, Larry Scott, about kind of what happened and how, how this all kind of came together. It's a long piece. It's like a two, two-part two piece. Uh, but regardless of who you cheer for, I think it just gives a good insight into what it has taken probably and it'll be interesting because I think BYU someone will do their own version for BYU and really kind of go into depth and talk to the the key playmakers in that move for BYU but I think it gives you a pretty good idea as to what it takes to get a small school into a bigger conference Uh, and it's it's a lot of moving pieces that goes into it uh, and a lot of vision for what the future could be. This isn't just a, I woke up this morning and decided I wanted to go to law school type of type of deal. Uh, you know, this this takes a lot of planning and foresight and, and just kind of chipping away at it year by year. And there are a lot of people involved. Uh, Tom Homo mentioned, you know, the the work that, you know, guys like Jimmer Fredette and and uh, Lavelle Edwards put into, you know, making making and just helping to build the brand to where it was desirable enough that someone would want to take a take a chance on it. So really cool, good stuff. I don't know if, Sarah, you have anything you want to add to that. I just thought I liked how realistic he was mm-hmm. about the whole situation, because I feel like fans and even players and coaches can get caught up in the excitement right. of a new conference, but not just in this interview, but in other interviews I've heard, he's like very aware that it's going to be a hard road for a lot of the teams and it might take him a while for them to, you know, have great success in the conference. And I think that's something BYU fans also need to keep in mind Mm -hmm. because as a BYU alum, I've seen there's a lot of very aggressive fans that have their blue goggles on (laughs) as they say so just keeping in mind like it's gonna it's gonna be a learning curve for sure and it might take a few more than just a season or two to to get to where they want to be and you just got to be along for the ride because that's what diehard fans do because BYU fans can be very quick to judge and very quick to get frustrated so I think that's my big takeaway is just 
remember, yeah, it's exciting, but it's also going to be a tough, a tough time. Uh, you know, and I'm glad that you brought up that piece as well, because that was the other piece that stood out to me is I, I think, again, very much BYU, Tom Homo, Kalani Sataki, they're all taking from Utah's experience. And, and that is the nice thing for BYU. They do have a bit of a blueprint. Now, some things are different. There, There's different things that both schools have to kind of face and try and navigate and figure out in order to be good at what what. They're in their respective conferences, and their respective conferences are very different in a lot of ways. Uh, but there are also some things, and I think the one thing that he said that I thought was very smart and, and very calculated is we kind of have these paths and these roads that we know we want to go down, but we're also prepared to make a U-turn and go the other way if we need to. And, and we kind of know that it's going to be a little bit of trial and error as we go along and we may think we have a good plan and find out as we start trying to execute it, it really doesn't work that well and that we might have to recalculate and go a different direction. Uh, and I think that's very important when you are trying to navigate kind of unknown waters is is having that flexibility and not going into it feeling like you have all the answers. For sure. Yeah, I think, yeah, he's made a lot of He's very good about and very articulate about mm-hmm. the way he talks because he's not going to just hate on BYU, obviously. But, you know, he's he's aware that it's, you know, it's, it's going to be a process and a learning curve for sure. Absolutely. And one that I am excited to watch from afar because it was sure fun watching Utah do it. So I'm I'm all here for round two. Let's see how round two goes with a different local Utah school. Uh We are going to head to a break. On the other side, a fan favorite, technical fouls. Sarah and I will uh, delve out some awards for bad behavior. You are listening to The Saturday Show on 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. You're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet. That's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal foul, 69, offense. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Okay, you heard it. It's technical foul time today on the Saturday show on 97.5 the KSL Sports Zone. Uh, up first, Sarah, let, let, let's hear what you got for us. All right. Um, so I don't know if everyone's aware, but the ESPYs happened, the big award show that happens with all the athletes. And LeBron James, um, of course, made an appearance and in his speech... Um, he kind of talked, I guess, earlier in the year, he alluded that he might be retiring right after, you know, they lost the finals. And yeah, it's very interesting. So I'm just going to play it really quick and then it. we can react after. <laughs> I don't care how many more points I score or what I can or cannot do on the floor. The real question for me is, can I play without cheating this game? The day I can't give the game everything on the floor is the day I'll be done. Lucky for you guys, that day is not today. 
So lucky for us, I'm sorry. I'm like, <laughs> my life is going to end unless I know that he's not retiring. I don't know. Maybe for some people that might be a huge deal, but like... You could be a little more humble about it. Like, he kind of contradicted himself because he was, like, talking about how the game is more important, but then immediately says, well, lucky for you guys, I'm not leaving the game. You know? I don't know. Well, lucky for you, LeBron, I don't really care because I don't watch NBA basketball. So, but, yeah, I I mean, to your point, maybe, maybe, well, no, not maybe. I know. I know that... That was a really a really important announcement for some people uh, that live, eat, and breathe NBA basketball. That just does not happen to be me. Yeah, especially uh, LeBron, because some people aren't fans of teams. They're just fans of LeBron. and Right, or specific players. Yeah, yeah they'll just go wherever he goes, you know. So, you know, to all, all those brawny, brawny fans out there, like, I guess it. I guess it was a good day at the ESPYS. It's very true. I was just like, you just didn't have to say it that way. Come on, you know he had some nice rhyming in that little speech. Score floor floor again. Yeah. The, oh, it was calculated for sure. Oh, he, it was he very knew exactly lovely. what he was doing. It was but very I was lovely. like, oh man, you really had to throw that in there. Lucky for you guys. <laughs> Well, you know, that's I, I think it's the attitude that probably makes him great. Uh, maybe a little unbearable on a personal level at times, but uh, it certainly works out on the floor. So I guess we get another year of LeBron James. Uh, I am going to switch gears and take a look at college football. Uh, it just recently came down the other day. I think actually, yes, Friday. It was Friday. Um, Friday in the a.m., actually, uh, the NCAA fined Tennessee more than $8 million on Friday and issued a scathing report outlining more than 200 infractions during the three-year tenure of former football coach Jeremy Pruitt. The volunteers escape, did escape, however, a postseason ban. Now, this report sprawled over 80 pages long and said that Tennessee committed 18 level one violations, which are the most severe uh and said that most involved recruiting infractions and direct payments to athletes and their families, benefits that totaled approximately $60,000. Now, to me, I look at that and I'm like, $60,000, like, that's kind of a drop in the bucket compared to, like, what we're dealing with now with NIL. And, uh, you know, Jeremy Pruitt, you were just ahead of your time, babe. (laughs) (laughs) Just wait, like, a couple more years and, and you could have freely been doing this and it would not have been an $8 million fine for your team uh, and you being fired, of course. Um, I don't know. I just, when when the NCAA chooses to exert its power is fascinating to me. This makes me wonder if I, it's kind of dropped out of the headlines, but all the stuff with ASU and, and some of the, the things that they were doing during COVID uh, with Herm Edwards, it makes me wonder if they'll eventually pick this back up because this kind of fell out of the headlines, too. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, OK, we're talking about Jeremy Pruitt again. Yeah, the timing is so weird. So, like, why now? Now I, that you have NIL, right. like you said, why do we need to get into this now? I just, I, I don't know. To me, I'm like, eh. I mean, definitely check yourself, Tennessee. Like, but oh, for sure. I, but still, you know, I, you, you hate seeing, I guess, 
institutional irresponsibility, which it sounds like that was also a big part of the issue. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm just like, does it really matter at this point? Like you're punishing, you're punishing them for something that's totally legal now. I, I don't know. Uh, and you know what? I feel like before we go to break, we also need to give like a special, like honorable mention to Northwestern. Oof. What a bad week to be a Northwestern fan. <laughs> your football Very coach true. and your baseball coach. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, well. <laughs> also, I don't know if you've seen, but Georgia is under yeah, fire, too. Georgia has some issues as well. Come on, guys. Get your act together. I just. Uh, yeah. Don't. Uh, it here's the thing. This is like a really hard job because there is a lot that you have to keep track of. But I've always said it and I've always felt like I don't know is not a good excuse. And I knew and I just didn't do anything about it. Also not a good excuse. Like when you have stuff like this coming up as a head coach and as an entire staff or an entire athletic department, I just don't really have a whole lot of sympathy for you because what it means is there's corner cutting somewhere. Um, and when you're in charge of something that large, like you have to be aware. You yeah. Just, you have to. Yeah. Um, you may not know personally, know, but you need to have eyes and ears out there that are letting you know as things come up so it gets addressed. 100%. Uh, so when stuff is let go for so long uh, that no, that just doesn't work for me. Okay. I guess I guess we'll wrap this up because uh, you know what we have happier things to get to like more BYU to the Big Twelve. Uh, you have been listening to the Saturday Show on ninety-seven five the KSL Sports Zone. On the other side, more Big Twelve Media Day. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of nineteen eighty-five. A woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.